0: seated and at this time children's second grade and down can be dismissed for children's church and to all God's people said thank you for your singing praise God John 10 together John 10 My daughter has inherited many things from her father. Hopefully, not all the bad things. But one of the things I'm afraid I've passed on is in more than one ways, I don't really do heights. I, I am scared of heights. My wife says I'm the most boring person to take to theme parks because I won't get on roller coasters that are too big. It just doesn't sound fun. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I look at it, it's fairly simple. If I could die from falling up there, I don't want to simulate it. Makes sense to me. Um, But it seems like some of you are like, he's finally voicing how I feel. I'm seeing lots of nods. Um, You're welcome. But it seems my daughter might be this way as well. She likes to jump, but uh, if it's too tall, she doesn't want to jump from it without help. Uh, So even last night, she was playing around, and there was a ledge, and she was on it. And she, she didn't want to jump from it at all at first. And I said, well, baby, what if Daddy catches you? And she said, okay. So I put her right on the edge. I said, just a little jump. And she jumped, and I caught her. And uh, then she backed up and said, big jump this time. And she jumped bigger, and I caught her. And I said, all right, really big jump this time. And she got a little bit frightened. And I said, baby, do you think Daddy's going to let you fall? She said, I guess not. So she jumped again. And then I pushed her. said, all right, what if Daddy doesn't catch it all? She said, no, 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 no. I said, all right, all right, that's fine. That's for another day. Jude tells us that God is able to keep us from, do you believe him? Are you afraid your eternal father will let you fall? I think sometimes many Christian testimonies go something like this. Made a profession of faith when I was young. Amen. Praise God. And then I struggled with doubt for a long time. I really doubted my salvation. I wasn't sure if I was really saved. I this is me. I'm talking about myself right now. And so I remember 13, 14 years old praying every week that God would save me. Because I was afraid. And there were certain things I didn't understand. And then what I'm, af- what I'm afraid, <laughs> then what I'm afraid we do, is we think that that we grow out of that. Many many people do grow out of that, but many struggle, fearing that they'll lose their salvation all of their lives. And in many cases, that's upbringing. If, if you've been taught that you have to do certain things to be good, to maintain some sort of godliness, you might think that's the same thing as salvation. And so you have to work hard. And, and, if, and if you're not working hard or if you're sinning too much, you might actually feel not saved. And maybe someone said that, you know, you, they taught that if you don't say these right words, you have to say this. And and you're not sure if you said the right words. Maybe you you feel such fear and guilt that you don't actually believe, even though God says that God would really save someone like you. And that God would really keep someone like you. Maybe everyone in your life that's important to you has left. You've walked out. Maybe you've been betrayed and hurt over and over and over again. And you think God's going to do that to you because everyone else has. These are real feelings. And I think sometimes the more confident personalities think that that's weakness. We all grow out of struggling with doubt. That is not true. And I think in many cases what we should understand is that being too confident in ourselves is a sin in and of itself. And I think we should be greatly compassionate towards those who have such an introspective and guilt-oriented kind of makeup that they really do struggle with this that you really do struggle with this. The passage of Scripture we're going to study today, if you struggle with doubt, maybe it's not even doubting your salvation, maybe it's you're doubting how much God loves you, how much God cares for you, how God treats you. The passage we're going to study today is for you. Let's read it. We're going to start in verse 22, John 10, 22. We're going to read down to verse 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you I and the Father are one. We've spent a great deal of time over the last few weeks studying the idea of sheep, we as Christ's sheep and Christ as our shepherd. And Christ in our text today gives us an irrevocable, unchanging promise. Series of promises. And what I want you to see from our text this morning is that salvation means our eternal shepherd secures our eternal safety. Our eternal shepherd secures our eternal safety. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what a morning we've had together so far. We've sang of our hope. We've said that the gospel will be our song all the day long. We have committed ourselves to doing all things for your glory today, for great things you have done. And we have recognized that it is through Jesus alone that we have anything. Any hope, any good news, any strength, any joy, not us, but Christ. And Lord, so as we come to the scriptures, would you teach us? Teach us about you, about your son, about ourselves, Father. So that we can better understand that Jesus is our only hope, that he's our only sufficient Savior. So that we can better give you glory. So that we can better know our hope, so that that hope does become, that hope of the gospel does become our song all the day long. Show us ourselves and show us our Savior. And we ask through Jesus. Amen. Verse 22 gives us the context for this passage. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So this is actually a little bit interesting. If you read the passage, it would seem like we're, we're looking at uh, just the next continuous time here. It, looks like, it seems like there's no break, except that verse 22 actually does give us the idea that there's a break, okay? And so uh, we're fi- we're fast forwarding a month or two here because we're going from the previous festival the festival of booths to the, the festival of of uh, of dedication now and the feast of dedication is similar to the festival of booths except that you didn't have to travel to Jerusalem to do it necessarily it was it was more it was more uh, uh, um, it was celebrated, there we go, at, at home. So you didn't have to make the journey to Jerusalem to go there. Uh, but it was still, it was still um, um, of course, regularly uh, celebrated and observed. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem at this time, though, and so what we're seeing is John is taking another time in which Jesus uses this metaphor of sheep and shepherd, and he's connecting it to this previous message of of sheep and shepherd, uh, which, remember, places its context. We find its context starting in chapter 9. And so, just to make sure we understand what we're saying, chapter 9 starts our context for, for chapter 10, and then in the middle of chapter 10, we have a little bit of a break. Jesus is still in Jerusalem, and he's still teaching, but, but this is a separate occasion in which Jesus uses sheep and shepherd terminology, and John places it here in his gospel to further make the point. Remember, uh, remember what John says. We, we even talked about it in Sunday school this morning, the adults. Remember what John says at the end of his book. If I was to record everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said, the books would fill the earth, Right? There's not even enough books, okay? So, uh, so this is just another message of Jesus, and John places it here. We are now less than six months from the Passion narrative, if that gives you a timeline. John, and I think I've said it before, John essentially fast-forwards the ministry of Christ and hurries into the Passion Week. John spends more time in the Passion Week than any of the Gospels. So, Jesus and his followers are back in Jerusalem. And again, this is just chronology, in John's chronology. He continues the message here of sheep and shepherd. But as we get going, we've spent a great deal of time pointing out that the, the Jews, remember, you see the Jews, in the book of John, it's typically the religious elite or the Jews who reject. We haven't asked this basic question. Why don't they believe? We've said they don't a lot. And they've shown that they don't a lot. And I've touched on briefly here and there God's long-term plan for Israel. And so there was a time for Israel when they would reject. But why specifically do they reject? Jesus as Messiah. Because remember, that's what John is attempting to do. You say you say this every week. I know, but it's because John is very clear about what he's trying to do. He's presenting Jesus as Messiah so that we'll believe and have life. Okay? And so why don't they accept him as Messiah? I mean, let's just, let's just walk through the facts together. Why wouldn't they believe Jesus as Messiah? So let's first of all look at the reason for their disbelief the reason for their disbelief. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's walking around the temple and the colonnade of Solomon. He's got, he's got unbelieving Jews around and they say something to him. Verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, I happen to believe that they are not actually being sincere. I think that they're looking for another opportunity to trap Jesus I don't think these, these Jews have any intention, these particular, specific Jews. Now, some Jews in the New Testament would become safe, Would be saved. Just think of Acts 2, Pentecost. But I do not think these particular Jews have any intention of believing Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus says. He says later in the passage, you do not believe. Okay. So, why don't they believe? I think they're setting up Jesus for a trap. Jesus answered them, I told you. Tell us plainly if you're the Christ. And Jesus said, I did. Now, listen. Jesus has not explicitly stated to the rulers of Jerusalem and the rejecting Jews that he is Messiah. He has not done that yet. He has said it implicitly, and he has done signs. But do you remember the only person that he's actually told that he's Messiah? The woman at the well—that's the only person so far. Isn't that awesome? Okay, that's the only person that he's actually said, "I am Messiah." He hasn't said it directly to the Jews and the religious authorities yet. But he does say, "The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me." So he's not saying he, so he's saying, "I I I haven't said it with my words explicitly, but but what I've done shows you." And so their reason for disbelief in clear, is clear in verse 26. You do not believe because you not, are not among my sheep. Now, it seems astounding that they wouldn't have believed at this point. But Jesus gives us the reason. So well, why does it seem astounding that they wouldn't believe? He has repeatedly given them signs. We've already studied John 2, the first of the signs. He changes the water into the wine. We've studied John 4. He heals the official son. We've studied John 5. Uh, he heals the paralytic, the feeding the 5,000 in John 6, walking on water in John 6, and healing the blind man from birth in John 9. And after every one of these, he explains how he does this. And do you remember what his reason is? The Father. So he's shown them what he's done, and he's repeatedly told them where he comes from. In John 3, he says, God sent him into the world. In John 7, he, knows, he says he knows who sent him and where he came from. Implicitly, it's the God of heaven. And in John eight fourteen, he says that where he comes from, heaven confirms his validity as Messiah. Yet they still reject him. Why? Because they are not, they are not among his sheep. And we've already had the sheep terminology introduced to us. Remember, all through John 10. The sheep hear his voice, they know him, he knows the sheep, they follow, etc., etc. We've been studying this, which gives us further understanding of what Jesus says when he says it to these people. Because true sheep, what? Hear and follow. So if you do not hear and follow you are not a sheep so jesus says to them since you are repeatedly rejecting here's the reason not one of the sheep and he reminds them he reminds them in verse 27 of what true sheep do this is not the first time we've seen this, this is the third time we've seen this my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me my sheep hear my voice and i know them again remember the the relationship is mutual Jesus knows the sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd, and they follow. So first of all, the responses, sec- or, excuse me, secondly, we see the responses of true sheep. And again, we've already talked about this. They hear and they follow. So the reason for the Jews' disbelief is that they're not sheep, because the responses of true sheep are hearing and following. And they're not doing either one. Now this proves something Fascinating to us. Fascinating and fearful. It proves to us that it does not matter how perfectly Jesus is presented. There will be people who reject him. Jesus can present himself as Messiah. And there will be people who reject him. Why? Because just like the reason remains the same, just like these people, they're not among the sheep. You say, well, who are the sheep then? The ones that Jesus knows and the ones that know him. Do you remember what I said a few weeks ago? Those written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And do you remember when the Lamb's Book of Life was written? From before the foundations of the world. Jesus knows his sheep. Which means we understand more deeply the divine and sovereign love of God in how he knows and expresses his love for his sheep By calling them. Do you know why you're a sheep? Because he called you. He called you. Praise God. Because I know myself. Sometimes I'm astounded that my wife wanted me. I'm serious. There is no reason. I mean, we're talking about God. Do you think do you think next to God I'm like talented? Absolutely not. Do you think next to God I have I'm impressive morally in any way? called because he knows his sheep and I'm not going to pick on you the way I just picked on myself but let me just say all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all there is none who seeks after God no not one And Jesus calls the sheep. And so this morning, when I prayed that we are of the redeemed, it's not because we're good sheep. We weren't sheep until Jesus, the good shepherd, called. And how how does he care for his sheep? My sheep know my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. So thirdly, I want you to see the refuge of true sheep. The refuge of true sheep. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is not the first time Jesus has followed up an image of salvation with eternal security. In John chapter 6, remember he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. In John 8... When he's in his in his discourse about being the light, he says, "Truly, I tell all of you with certainty: If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death." The climactic miracle that we're going to talk about in the next little while, where he heals or he brings Lazarus back from the dead. Indeed, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So Jesus often gives us an image or does a sign and follows it with an assurance of eternal security. Note the basis of this assurance. Does Jesus say, I will give them eternal life as long as they are good sheep? What does he say? I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, again, I think we're 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 going back to and, and, and there's a there's a time break here, but what Jesus says here is another way that that Jesus proves himself as a better shepherd. Better shepherds don't care about the sheep, so better shepherds aren't on the aren't on the watch out for thieves. Someone catches a sheep, or steals a sheep out of a flock that a, shepherd, a bad shepherd doesn't care about. What's another sheep that's lost? Who cares? I don't care about the sheep anyway. But Jesus, who cares about a sheep, says no one will take them. Why? My Father has given them to me. you as one of Christ's as one of Christ's sheep are a gift to him by God the sheep of Christ of Christ are gifts from God to Jesus the shepherd and that which God preciously gives to the son, the son will keep. By the way, my father, who is greater than all, how can you be sure Jesus will keep you? Well, because it's a gift from the father. How can you be sure God will keep you? Because he's greater than all. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my father's hand. You are doubly, divine, held. Do you see that? You are doubly, divinely held. I and the Father are one. The inseparable union of Christ and God is the basis that Christ gives us for your assurance in your salvation. Listen, that means if Jesus lies about our salvation, then God is lying too. But God doesn't lie. Because of the perfection of the oneness of their unity, you can be certain in the promise that you will be eternally kept. God cannot lie, Christ cannot lie, and therefore those who believe cannot fall. These verses teach us, as I said, that the sheep are God's gift to Christ, and Christ holds his precious gifts in his hands with unlimited power and unfailing protection. So I started the morning, I started the message by just walking through different ways people might struggle with doubting their salvation. And I want to say this as compassionately as possible. I want to say this as compassionately as possible because I know the temptation to struggle with doubt is real and and hard and difficult but the the temptation to struggle with whether or not you believe that God will truly keep you is fundamentally an issue of whether or not you actually believe in God himself. Because if you believe in this God, then you believe he will not let you fall. That no sin No circumstance, no person, no enemy, no threat of this world can take you away from the Father who holds you, from the Son who holds you, and from the Son who gave his life, the shepherd who shed his blood, that you would be secure. Imagine I give a gift to one of my children. Maybe I have a precious coin. And I give it to one of my children, and they clutch it. And right now, right now they're just, they have little little kid fingers. They drop things a lot. My son's got these big old porky hands. He's got huge hands. He's got a firm little grip. But he drops things a lot. So if I give my son a precious coin, he might not be the possessor of that coin until I'm sure he won't lose it. But I might give it to him and then wrap my hand around it, make sure he doesn't drop it, telling him what I'm giving him. Here's the problem with that illustration. I'm not God. And when God gives you as a gift to his son and then doubly holds you and explains to you what he's given, the Bible, You can be certain nothing can take you out. Because God, who is eternal in power, is perfectly faithful to his promises. And you are promised that you will never perish. And so, brother or sister, when you live your days wondering whether or not God will actually keep you, move the focus of fear from yourself, which causes you to have to do this and that and be good enough and constantly have to live up to, Jesus died to make you one of His, and you are held in union with, God and the Son. And so you are free to enjoy this security. Not bound to maintain it. Because Jesus died once for all. And a promise once made by God is a promise forever kept. Jesus Our eternal shepherd secures our eternal safety. Let's pray. We're going to pray in just a moment, but I'm going to do something a little different. When our instrumentalists are ready, I'm just going to have them quietly play our song, our closing song. Just quietly play. Every head bow, every eye close, please. And I'm going to do this in my own heart. I just invite you to do it with me, quietly. Just we who are in Christ, let's just praise God for the gospel. Let's just thank him. Reflect on his goodness for 30 seconds, a minute, as our instrumentalists get ready to play. And just thank God for his goodness in the gospel. stand with me and prepare to join them in song. All right, let's start right at the beginning. The grace of God has reached for me. The grace of God has reached for me. this morning if any questions about our message please see me at the end let's pray what more can we say lord praise you all glory be to you to the one who is able to keep us from falling we thank you Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.